I was telling Darren, if you didn't see Darren's shirt, he definitely gets the win for the best dad shirt of, of Sunday. Yes, well done. Well done. There you go. Look at, look at it. Um, but I was telling him, I said, being, dad jokes are like one of the best things about being a dad. Actually, it's one of the things I'm most looking forward to when my daughters get older is being able to make them feel very awkward and uncomfortable around their friends while I tell those kinds of jokes. Um, well, guys, it is a, a, a special day uh, to be able to be here. Thank you. I left that at the city. Um, on a number of levels. I don't know if you, hopefully you were fired up to get your socks. You get dad, you fired up about your socks? I got, I got mine a little early, so I went ahead and put them on ahead of time. But I'm, I'm rocking mine. They're very comfortable. They're, they're very soft. Uh, but also it's very special, uh, for a number of reasons. I think this is my first Father's Day, ser- Father's Day service that I think I've ever preached. I've preached on Mother's Day like six times, I think. But, but I've never done Father's Day for some reason. And, uh, and it's special, I know, I get to have my dad being here with me, and that's a, that's a special thing. Um, but, uh, but as well, I know it's a, it's a weird thing, kind of Aaron is saying, it, the, the years that you, you know you've got a baby on the way, Father's Day is kind of a special slash weird experience, because it's like, man, there's so much that, that we don't know yet, and what's coming, and what, what are they going to look like, all that different stuff. But, uh, but it's, it's very cool to me that I get a chance to be able to preach to you guys uh, about Father's Day. Or about about dads and about grace as we think about fathers, and, and really uh, today as as we talk about grace, we continue in our series that we've been doing on grace. We're going to connect this to our relationship with our heavenly Father. And it's not just because it's Father's Day, but there's a an obviously strong connection when you think about grace to our relationship with God and how we feel about Him as our heavenly Father. Our title today, if it'll go. Yeah, we're having some technical difficulties. All right, I might just have you click it for me, Josh. All right, it's called The Father's Favor. Amen. Uh, so, you know, the series that we've been doing on grace, we're, we're diving into an incredibly deep subject about what it means that, that God not just loves you and sent Jesus to die for you, but God actually likes you. You know, the word, the word grace means favor. It means, it means He cares about you. He likes you. He's invested in you. And because He likes you and invests in you, Who's willing to sacrifice to give us mercy, forgiveness? We've covered so many incredible things about this already. I know Scott's sermon last week was was fantastic, talking about the scandalous grace of God, and, and the idea that 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 to really understand God's grace, we have to completely abandon the word deserve, because a world a world of grace, a world where we really connect to the power of God's grace, means we understand that deserve is not the factor of us getting God's grace or not, because we don't. We don't deserve it. And so today as we kind of dig through the idea of, uh, of, of what it means to, to, to have the favor of a father, uh, I know for many of you in here that this is a day that even, and a topic that can come with some complicated emotions. You know, Father's Day and Mother's Day both. There's, there's a lot that can, go, that can go into this, depending on what your relationship with your dad uh, is or was. I know even just, just hearing... Uh, Barry and, and Chris both share that they lost their dad and this is their first Father's Day without them. Father, the, the idea of talking about a father's favor can, can conjure up a lot of emotions and a lot of conflicting things. Um, but the awesome thing about this is no matter what the relationship with our father, whether they're here or not, God is a perfect father. Amen. And he is here. And he wants to be connected and give grace to all of us. So we're going to say a word of prayer and then we're just going to dive right in. 
God, I just really want to thank you that we get the opportunity to, uh, to, to sit at your feet this Father's Day, to, to, to connect with you in such a special way, to consider what it means to, to have your grace and your favor as our perfectly heavenly Father. And uh, I, I just really want to pray that you'll help to, to soften our hearts, to engage with you in the Scriptures. And I pray that you'll really lead this time. Uh, Holy Spirit, just really speak through me to share exactly what you want shared. We love you in your Son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today we're going to be looking at the parable of the lost son. Turn over to Luke chapter 15. And this, is a, this is a parable that even if you've not really been to church much at all, we're all familiar with to some degree. The parable of the prodigal son. We're going to go ahead and read through it and then, uh, then, then uh, pick it apart. We'll start in verse 11. says, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to, feel, uh, to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and I'm here starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him and ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you and no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile... The older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home. He replied, your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Let's stop there. So, before we kind of dive into this, it's important to even understand the background of, of why Jesus told this parable. And actually, the the name is misleading, because it's really not supposed to be the parable of the lost son. It's more the parable of the lost sons, as we'll get into here in just a moment. But the whole point of this parable, in the beginning of Luke chapter 15, what it tells us, the setting of this was, is it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And this scene that we just read was happening a lot at this point. Jesus was at the the peak of his ministry. He had crowds that were coming with him and following him to hear what he had to say. 
But most of the people that were really interested in what Jesus had to say were the tax collectors and the, and the sinners. The ones that were broken, the social outcasts, the ones that didn't feel like they belonged, the ones that, that the religious people looked at and didn't want to have anything to do with. Those are the ones that really came to Jesus in droves. And this drove the religious people crazy. They didn't know how to process it. And, and what happened is, is they saw who he was hanging out with and it bothered them. And they were curious about Jesus. I mean, there's so many different passages that, that they would be curious. They would want to know. There was, there, they understood that there was truth to what Jesus was doing. But they couldn't wrap their minds around the fact that this guy is claiming to be the Messiah and he's hanging out with these people? And even look at what it says. It's interesting. It says the tax collectors and the sinners, the ones who really had no religious background, no connection to Jesus, they were the ones who gathered. The religious people, the ones who should have been excited to be with Jesus, that should have been close to him more than anybody, were the ones who muttered. They're the ones who couldn't get it. And so Jesus says, okay, we need to have a powwow here. And he tells a series of parables, but specifically he ends with this one. And he tells him this parable about two sons. One who was wildly sinful, and one who wasn't. But both misunderstood what grace really was. They misunderstood how to get it, and what the purpose of it was. They both had broken relationships with their father that needed to be restored. And the connection here for us as we think about this is the the truth is, our sinful nature floats between one of the two sons at any given time. At any given day, we're either the younger son or we're the older son. And we want to dive into really what this what this is like, what this is about here. But before we do that, I actually want to establish something here on the front end of the sermon so that we can focus on it. As we've been talking about the depths of grace, and we've hit some pretty incredible subjects, I mean, like... You know, we were talking with our core group leaders this last week, and Darren was sharing about how like, it's so hard to try to hit grace in eight weeks. Because it's a topic that we wrestle with so much. But as you think about all things we've already learned, and really the reality of the depths of grace, and what comes with it, not getting what we deserve, forgiveness, the gift of salvation, the gift of the kingdom, all that grace entails, we cannot miss the most important thing about grace. The why of grace... And all that comes with it is to walk in intimacy and confidence with our Father. In Colossians 1, this is a quick reference scripture. It says, For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers, rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. And what he's saying is since since the beginning of time, God's plan was to give us His favor and His grace, but not so that we could enjoy church. Not so we could have great relationships. That's a byproduct. The point of grace is to have a relationship with Him. And that's what we want to keep in the back of our minds as we dig into this. Alright, we're going to go into this here a little bit. So let's talk about the younger son for a moment. So the parable starts off, right, with, with a pretty incredibly brazen request. He shows up to his dad, and I know the younger son gets a lot of attention, but we gotta, we gotta hit him real quick. Um, he shows up to his dad and says, alright, I want my inheritance. Now, 
The stuff that I want to get that's yours, when you die, give it to me now. And for, for some continuity's sake here, for us to understand why this is so significant, 2,000 years ago in the Middle East, we think, you know, we know what patriarchal societies are like. For him to be dishonoring or disrespectful of his father would have meant the father had every right to just kick him out of the family, send him away with nothing but a beating for being disrespectful. How dare you talk to your father that way? All right? And this son, the youngest son, mind us, shows up and says, All right, Dad, you are as good as dead to me. Give me your stuff so I can go do what I want. What he is basically telling his father at this stage of the game is, I want your stuff. I want everything that you have earned. But you? No, I don't care about you. I want your things, not you. I want the benefits that come with you, not you. And as if this request wasn't disrespectful and insulting enough, I'm sure if you're a parent, the idea of having this conversation makes you see a little red right now. But the Greek word that he says for property, when he says he's divided up his property, it comes from the Greek word bios. So any science teachers out there, what does bio mean? Life. So he's saying, divide up your life. Divide up your, your living, your well-being, everything about you. He's not saying, he's not saying, hey, that pile of money that you have in the back that's waiting for me when you die, go ahead and give me my share now. He's saying, everything that you got, go ahead and liquidate it, sell it, get rid of it, rip it apart to give me what I want. He was literally telling his father, tear your life apart as it is to give me things so I can go enjoy myself and have fun. Because you gotta think, this isn't, again, it's not a pile of money. That means he would have to go sell his property. He would have to get rid of cattle. This wasn't like a, okay, here, let me just go to the safe and hand it to you. This was probably a several week, month process if we're thinking about it literally. And his son knew that. He would have to take his life, his livelihood, sell things off, liquidate his assets in order to make this happen. And he was asking him to tear apart his life for something that he didn't earn. Think about what this must have done to his father. You know, my relationship with my dad has, has been interesting over the course of my life. We actually have a great relationship, but there have been several times in my life where that wasn't the case. Mostly because of me. <laughs> it is Father's Day, so you know. Um, but when I was like 17, 18 years old, well, may, I don't know, you may verify, 16 to 17, something like that, was probably some of the rockiest parts of our relationship. I was in all kinds of sin, hiding all kinds of things, and I was just a, just a butthead. And a couple of things, the couple of things that even came to mind about about our run-ins at that time. I um, uh, I was in wrestling. I was really ingrained in wrestling, and I and I uh, I had a great I had a great record for the regular season, but my tournaments <laughs> my tournaments were not so great. And I developed this fun nasty habit that whenever I lost. I would rip the chin, the chin strap off my headgear, spike it to the ground, and then walk off with a bad attitude. So I was in a, I was in a tournament in one, in one case 
where it was this whole, I'll save you the, all the details of it. You can, I can tell you privately. But I did, I lost. I lost. And my, my coach came up to grab me while I was mid-spike. And I threw it down and my chin strap slapped him on the arm as I was spiking it to the ground. That was actually a fun day at practice that coming Monday too. But, but I did that and I ran out of the gym because I was so mad. And my dad chased me down and I was like, get away from me! I was like, just throwing a fit over this wrestling match. And he got in my face and said, you don't act like that, have better character, be a man. Like it was that kind of a conversation. All right? As well during that time too, I was, I was experimenting with rebellion, I would say. Not, not just directly or openly, but I skipped school one time. One time. Because I got caught. Um, and that was like one of the only times that we almost literally got into a physical fight. And I look back on this time now, and I know one, I'm grateful for where our relationship is and the healing that's happened because of that. But I look back on that and think about how difficult it must have been to be my father. The, the prayers that he had to pray, the advice that he had to get in order to put up with me. And I can think back to that and, and just imagine for a little bit what this father must have felt. Watching his son decide that his relationship with his dad wasn't important to him anymore. And blowing his life, doing things that were going to damage him for the rest of his life. When I think about my deepest fears as a father now, knowing that my my daughter is only four, it's thinking about when she's making her own decisions and the damage that she can make to herself. And there's not anything I can do about it. And this is a spirit that we can all connect with. The younger son is telling God, I want the benefits. The spirit of the younger son that we can share with this is, I want the benefits from a relationship with you, God. I want the perks of your kingdom. But without a relationship and without a, without repentance. It's when we ask God for help when life gets hard, but then abandon Him when things get better. Asking for forgiveness because we don't want to feel shame or guilt anymore, but not making steps to actually change and repent. Wanting to enjoy the relationships of the kingdom. Thank God for the relationships we have in the kingdom. To not feel alone or have somebody to help you in a bind but not giving and loving other people. It's a give to me without giving anything attitude. And as a kingdom kid growing up in our church, I've struggled with this a lot. There's a term I, I, I coined for for kingdom kids, it's something that we have to all grapple with. If you've been raised in the church your whole life, it's borrowed grace. It's getting to enjoy and experience the grace of God, not directly to you, but it's the grace that God is giving to your parents who have made Jesus Lord. And it's enjoying those benefits of grace without taking ownership of it yourself. Grateful that your parents are disciples. Grateful that they're married. Changing and growing, and that you have friends in the church, but living and telling yourself that you're trapped in the church. And thinking that real freedom and real love is out there. But thank God, like the parable here, and really like anybody, that when we choose to engage and wander down a road like that in life, 
You come to your senses and realize, man, it's not out there. There's nothing here. I've wasted my money, my energy, my love, my, my gift. I've wasted all this stuff because I've not given it to my father. And the son realizes what he's done and, and, and realizes, man, I, I have this incredible opportunity at home. I have a father who loves me. I've got all these things that are waiting for me. I gotta go back. And he starts telling himself and, and you know, and thinking about what, what, what he was trying to do and where he thought he was at. Cause what he convinced himself of at this point is, man, I've, I've, I've broken everything about my relationship with my father. It's gone. Sonship is out the window. I've already told my dad he's as good as dead. I've spent my inheritance. I've wasted my life. There's no way he's gonna let me be his son again. So maybe, just maybe, I can convince him to let me be a hired hand. And that hired hand thing is an interesting thing by itself too, because it's not a servant. The commentaries I was reading about this, a servant was somebody that would live on the property that still got to enjoy some of the benefits of being with their master. A hired hand was a hired gun. It was somebody that, somebody that didn't live on the property. They only showed up for the day and then would go away. And there's an incredible book out there you ought to read sometime called The Prodigal God. It's all about this parable. But the author suggests that the goal of the younger son, that where his thinking was at, was he was trying to earn money to pay back what he owed to his father. That he had convinced himself, I can't be a son again until I've paid back to be back in my father's favor. But really what this is, is a misunderstanding of grace. It's a misunderstanding of grace that we all fight with. Either thinking that we got to try to pay off our spiritual debt with good deeds or not going to God at all out of fear of failure. That What if I try and I let Him down? When I study the Bible with teenagers, it's one of the most common things that I hear that keeps them from engaging in studying the Bible and learning about God. It's the fear that I'm not enough. I can't do it. I can't make it all the way. I've had people tell me different times before, like, I, I'll come to church once I start fixing some things in my life. I'll, I'll show up when, when my finances are better, or my marriage is better, whatever it may be. But what he didn't expect was the dad's response. When he came home, I'm sure reciting his little speech to himself the whole way. Not knowing if his dad was going to shoot an arrow at a distance and just take him out or what, whatever. And to his amazement, what he was met with was grace. There's a father that didn't even let him get home. He's like, no, 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 I'm going to run. He saw him at a distance and went running to meet him. Interrupted his little speech, his little, his little attrition and, and, and trying to make up for his speech. He said, shut up. Servants, come get the best robe. Get a ring. And the best robe was his robe. It was the master's robe. Something that not only was a matter of, hey, your clothes are covered in pig junk and we need to get you in something that doesn't stink, but it was a significance of saying, this is sonship again. To wear the master's robe is to be instilled with sonship again. And it wasn't because he earned it. It wasn't because his speech was so well prepared. It was because his father's favor was greater 
than what had happened. He throws him a party. He kills the fattened calf. Oh, just the best, the best. But again, there were two sons. The story doesn't stop there. The, the younger son gets a lot of attention. We like preaching about him, but let's talk about the older son for a moment. Because his background, he represented the Pharisees, the religious people, the ones that have been around forever. He was the good kid. He was the one that, he was the one that obeyed the rules. He wouldn't even dare to rebel. He was trying to set the example. He was thinking, he, he was thinking, man, I, I just want to, I just want to do what dad wants. And then, you know, eventually everything's going to work out and stuff here. Maybe I'll get the land. Whatever. He was, he was the good kid. Classic older child. Right? If you think textbook psychology, the older child that tends to look down on the younger ones for being stupid, like, psh. I don't relate to that at all. But really where he was coming from in this whole situation was, was he was watching his brother squander what his father had given him. Imagine the indignation he might have felt by hearing, wait, he asked dad for what? He said what to our father? Who does he think he is? And then watch as the years roll on and he blows everything in his life. His brother's sin was obvious. How broken his little brother's relationship with his father was, was obvious. But what this did is this fed his own self-righteousness. And his assurance that his obedience and his good deeds were enough. That's why he says when his little brother came back, he found out, says he got angry. His attitude was angry. Wait, somebody let that kid back? Dad did what? He gave, he gave him his robe? He killed the fattened calf? What are you talking about? He doesn't deserve that. Does, has, has dad not seen what I've done? I've been here the whole time. To take it even a step further though, there was some significance to some of these things for him. Because the fact that he had dad's robe again meant that he was back to being a son. And historically, 2,000 years ago, the oldest child got double the amount of inheritance that the rest of the kids got. So in a family of two, the older son got two-thirds and the younger son got one-third. So the younger son blew his one-third, and now dad is saying he's a son again with my two-thirds. So that means not only is dad accepting him, now dad wants to give him what was supposed to be mine. And because of this, imagine how you would feel if you had been dutiful, if you had been following the rules. And it says this just burned in him. And it says he refused to go into the party. But what, he, what we don't know with that, because we tend to just kind of overlook that part for us, but 2,000 years ago, to refuse to go into a party that your father, the master, threw was the same level of disrespect and disobedience as his younger brother had done earlier. It was the same kind of thing. It was saying, it was saying, I, I don't approve. I'm ashamed of this. I do not follow what my father is saying here. I'm rebelling. 
It would have been the exact same thing. His father could have come out and just gone, get out of here. How dare you question and disrespect me? Matter of fact, his father does come out to meet him. The first words out of the older, out of the older son's mouth were, look! The commentaries I was reading about this, is like the, it's, like the, it's like the equivalent of him saying, look here, you! You don't know what you've done. How dare you let this kid back in here? I've been slaving for you for years. Think about how he felt about his relationship with, with his father. To even share it this way. And this is how you treat me? When do I get what's mine? And this is a complicated heart. This is a difficult heart. Because where this heart comes from, it can come from a place of saying, you know what? Someone else's sin is way more obvious and way more damaging than mine. Little brother, I mean, that, pff, look at it, look what he did. That's a screw up right there. Definitely not like me. And as the older brother of, of a drug addict, I'm very familiar with this feeling. I'm very familiar with, with watching my little brother make decisions that were very obvious and very damaging. And at times, without realizing it, what it stirred in me, what it created in me, was this part of me that, that just didn't see how in trouble I was. Because I was too busy looking at him. I watched what his sin did to my parents. I'm not doing that anymore. It's a heart that comes from a place that says, you know what? My life now, it's way better than it was before. Thank God. And okay is enough. I don't need to make any efforts to really change anymore. I don't really need to make any efforts to give to God because I already got what I want. It's a heart that maybe if you've been around for a while and you, feel, and you start struggling with self-righteousness or feeling like, you know what? God hasn't given me what I really deserve. Maybe connecting with thinking through, man, prayers that weren't answered. Letdowns in your relationship with Him. You know, I don't, I don't have the career that I wanted that other people might seem to get. My finances aren't in the place that I want them to be. I don't have the relationship that I want. I'm not dating the person. I, I'm not dating yet. I'm not married yet. My marriage isn't what I thought it was. Maybe the disappointment of, real, of, of the struggle that your kids aren't disciples yet. Or maybe the letdown of people have loved, people that you have loved personally haven't become disciples yet. Or have walked away. And when those things start to happen, either self-righteousness sets in or, or, or hurt, and then we find ourselves, just like the older son, distancing ourselves from God and His feast. Everybody's celebrating, everybody's together, but not me. I'm burnt out. I'm not getting what God told me He would give me. But just like the younger son, the dad responds with grace. 
It says in the middle of his disrespect and all the things that are going on, he goes out to meet him. You see the connection there? That from a distance as the younger son was walking up, he ran up to meet him where he was at. And the, and the older son, as he's struggling with his, with his rebellion and his, and his self-righteousness, he goes out to meet him where he's at to appeal to him. My son, what are you doing? Why are you out here? Why aren't you with us? Why aren't you with the family? He has to listen to his son spew off bad attitudes and all these different things. And without even realizing it, the older son had done exactly what the younger son had done. He had reduced his relationship with his father to, I want your stuff. You're not giving me your stuff. You're not giving me the promises. You're giving it to him. Dad had a rough time with his boys. It's a rough day. And think for a moment how you would feel or how you would be tempted to respond if this was the interaction you had with your kids. Both of them reducing you to what they can get from you. One telling you, you might might as well be be as good as dead and just give it to me now. Both of these sons, not just the younger one, both hearts are distant from their father. Both of them missed the point of the father's favor. It's not about the stuff. The grace that God was giving them, the grace that their father was pouring out on them, it wasn't about the stuff, it wasn't about the land, it wasn't about the inheritance, it wasn't about the money, it was about the father. And in spite of the attitudes, in spite of all the things that they did to their dad, how does he respond? He runs to meet them. He's patient. He doesn't give them what they deserve. Because really the reality is him saying, you're not giving me what you've earned. Like, yeah, you're right. Because what you've earned, you don't want. He doesn't give them what they've earned. And instead, he continues to give them the best. We get to, we, we saw how he responded to the younger son, to the older son. He said, my son, all I have is yours. You're getting everything that I have to give. You're getting the very best of me. This is how God shows his grace to us. Because again, at any given time, we are one of these kids. You right now, your sinful nature, it's one of these kids. Similar attitudes, similar problems, just coming out in a different way. God shows His grace to us in very similar ways. As we sit here in our stubborn hearts, Knowing, because God has seen everything that's gone on in your life. He has seen everything that has happened to you this week. Everything you've done. Every thought that you had. Every bad attitude in your heart. He's seen it all. And yet, here you are. Here to meet you. Patient. 
Not kicking you out of the family for being disrespectful. Continuing to give you His best. Because I don't know if you realized it, but what we have here, it's the best. But mainly to appeal to us to be walking with Him. My son, come back. Come back to the feast. Come back with me. The Holy Spirit's leading me here. Turn to Romans 5. I don't think I have it up on the board. I think I have it on the board. Who cares? It doesn't matter. Let me see. Yeah. No, same, same spirit, but this one's a little better. Verse 6. The scripture we hear read at communion a lot, but I want to, I want to keep reading because we don't want to miss something here. It says, You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So this is the scripture we've read a lot. At the heart of it, I'm not going to, we're trying to wrap up here, I'm not going to dive too far into this. But at the heart of it, he's saying, look, at your worst, at your moment that you were the younger son staring into the eyes of your father saying, you're as good as dead to me and I'm going to take it and do whatever I want with it. He says, God showed grace by sending Jesus to die for you. But the word, he says, the, the word was not, he didn't necessarily send Jesus to die just to save you. That whole next paragraph, there's one word that shows up, I think four times. Reconciliation. So he's given you grace. He sent Jesus to die to mend your broken relationship with your father. To take you as an enemy at your worst and make you a child. It's not about the stuff. It's about our Father. I want to close here with a, with a video. It's about a minute and a half or two minutes, something like that. But it's an incredible story, you know, uh, about a father and son. When Rick Hoyt was born, doctors told his father to put him in an institution. But Dick ignored that advice, allowing Rick to lead as normal a life as possible, despite cerebral palsy that leaves him unable to talk, walk, or use his hands. I wanted to show someone I knew who had an acquired disability that life goes on and he could still lead to productive life. Rick, now 51, even graduated from Boston University. But it's this that made the father-son team widely recognizable in the Boston area. At 19, Rick suggested the two start running together. Dick agreed to push Rick's wheelchair in a five-mile benefit run. What he told me is, Dad, he says, when I'm out running, it feels like my disability disappears, which was a very powerful message to me. But that first race was grueling. Rick was in a heavy wheelchair, not built for racing. 
But it's what his son said after that kept them going. And he actually called himself Freebird because now he was free and able to be out there competing and running with everybody else. Since that first race 21 years ago, the pair has competed in nearly 1,100 triathlons, marathons, and other races. Now they get invitations to travel the world, but it wasn't like that in the early days when Dick would get calls and letters from people. They said, what are you doing dragging your disabled son through all these races? Are you just looking for glory for yourself? What they didn't realize, he was the one who dragged me through all these races. As Dick and Rick prepare to run in their 31st Boston Marathon, Rick reflected on what he'd do if he suddenly was able to get out of his wheelchair. Tell my dad to sit down in the wheelchair. And now I would push him. It's clear that the two are already pushing and supporting each other. Matt Friedman, Associated... If you want something to make you cry, go and look up some videos of Rick and Dick Hoyt. It'll, it'll change your whole perspective. But this is a great picture of grace that we got to see in this parable. A father willing to willing to do something for his son that his son couldn't do on his own. Both of these sons in the parable were lost. They had broken their relationship with him. And he on his own reached out to love his children. This story is powerful because the love of the father led to an incredible bond that he and his son get to share together. The love that he had freed his son to be able to experience something special with his dad and a freedom that he couldn't have had otherwise. And you can tell, it's, it, he got it. He got what, what, the, what the sons in the parable missed. My dad is doing something for me that I don't deserve. And if even if I ever had the opportunity, I would want to push him in the chair because it's about us. It's about this relationship. The chair is Grace. God is the Father wanting to push us in our instability, in our sin, in the things that we can't fix on our own. He's still willing. But the thing about this parable that bothers me says the parable doesn't the parable doesn't show what their response was to their father. It's kind of unfinished. Jesus leaves the parable without a resolution. And he was doing this as a means to challenge the hearts of the Pharisees in particular, the religious ones, the ones that are in church. To challenge them to ask, will you come to the feast? Will you come restore your relationship with your father? Will you see your father's favor and choose to engage? And the prayer in all this, and I don't have, a practic- I don't have practicals for us. I want us to consider this. Where has my heart been? Have I been the heart of the older son or the younger son? Am I treating God's grace as a means to get what I want? Or am I treating God's grace as a means to get closer to my father because he's doing what I can't? I want to close here in a prayer for us to just get a chance to meditate on this. And I pray that as we go through our week here, that we have a chance to consider if we grasp this, if we really pursue our God in grace, what will He do in changing our heart going forward? Let's bow our heads. Father, I do want to thank You. I know we are so undeserving, God. I know 
It's hard for me to even read this passage oftentimes because I see myself so clearly in each of these boys. And Father, I know that you have, you have not given me as my sins deserve, but I pray, I pray, God, that as Jesus left this with the Pharisees, that the goal was, I know he was appealing, he was pleading to them, please come to your Father, come to the feast, stop being prideful, stop squandering your life, and engage with your Father in grace. I pray, God, that, we, that you will help us see clearly how powerful your favor is towards us and that you will lead us closer to you. We love you in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.